the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Ort. I'm Haley Wooden. And I'm Kirk LaPointe. I think earlier this week, we talked a lot about the intersection between business and politics, but I think why don't we hunker down and talk about some of the big business stories, period, here across uh, British Columbia as well as Canada. Just the stuff that I think is having a big impact this year. And then I think we'll have ripple effects throughout uh, the remainder of uh, 2019. Haley, what jumps out to you so far in 2018? Well, we had our newsmaker of the year, and that was carbon. And I think whether you want to point out LNG Canada, whether you want to look to our new Clean BC Climate Action Plan and Strategy, I think that was a very big theme in 2018 and will continue to be a business story in 2019 as well. Yeah, it, what jumps out to me, though, is the big implications going forward with LNG Canada. I'm, I'm thinking mostly about what labor, the tightening of the labor market is going to have to do and just uh, regroup and, and focus on this. I, I don't see an easy solution to address the labor issues that are going to be going forward with LNG Canada. But look, th- this investment is just giant. It's $40 billion in the initial uh, tranche of it. Uh, so there, there actually could be much more. And there are other projects that are likely in the wings as well. And you have to think that if um, if the NDP government is, uh, is really serious about uh, maximizing the opportunity in here, uh, that we will see LNG uh, and, and a very heavily electrified infrastructure surrounding it as, um, as the major resource emanating from the province in years to come, and in a lot of ways, the economic legacy of this government. And well, Haley, you brought up the Clean BC plan there, which the Greens are giving their sign off on. And you just kind of, you're wondering about the mathematics involved with this, especially with LNG Canada moving forward. And we're still waiting to find out where 25% of emissions reductions yeah. will come from. How, how many, how many <laughs> governments actually say, here's our plan? Oh, we have one quarter of it that we still have to figure out. Yeah. It's okay. It's, it's kind of like, I think next year I'm going to say, I'm going to pay three quarters of my taxes. I'm going to figure out the other quarter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, give, I'll get back to you on that over the next couple of years. Yeah, doesn't well, apply. Uh, maybe as talking about emissions here, uh, cannabis legalized here mm-hmm. in uh, Canada, uh, October 17th. And it was a pretty rough rollout. I, I think even rougher than maybe the average person on the street would have expected. And it comes down really to supply issues. You talk to experts, they're not expecting supply issues to really kind of figure themselves out until, you know, 18 months, 24 months from now. Yeah. And uh, there's like a big convoy of cars lined up on the highway uh, out of Kamloops uh, to the, <laughs> the licensed store uh, to, to buy, uh, buy your legal supply. Uh, we've got that. We've also got the issue, I think, in, in our community, a lingering issue involving the dispensaries and what is going to happen. And, and I, I've taken note of the new mayor's approach on this one, which is to say, if you don't, don't have a license, you're out of business, get out of business now. And uh, they've got court orders. It looks as if this could get a little bit of a, a skirmishy in the next little while. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe what they'll be doing is targeting, say, the landlords. Uh, and I think that's the easiest thing to do as opposed yeah. to like beating down the doors with the VPD, which I don't think is on the agenda. No, I don't think they're going to be hauling people out of the dispensary, you know, with bongs in their hands uh, to, you know, to make this work. 
No. And even if they are successful in closing down these retail operations, I wonder where these people go. The whole point or one of the major points of legalization was to eliminate the black market. And I think there's some serious questions when you factor in taxation, access, supply, whether legalization will be successful in the short term in doing that. Yeah. Plus, Haley and Tyler, I mean, we've had so many people on our podcast over the years saying that really what has to happen is that the existing cannabis culture needs to somehow be integrated. Into the into this next round because these are actually the people who kind of know what they're talking about when it comes to selling uh, selling the supply. Yeah, it's also curious. A lot of them packed up shop that they were getting threats that if you don't comply, then good luck ever being involved with the industry moving forward. And so mm-hmm. these are the experts. They're kind of sitting on their hands for an indeterminate amount of time, especially when we look at just how weird the industry, the legalized industry is right now. Yeah. Well, the good thing, uh, guys, is that uh, the housing situation is all solved yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, we've re- <laughs> been able to lick that in 2018. Breaking uh, news uh, that have, we're reporting first year in business. Yeah, right totally. Mm-hmm. totally. Uh, we have affordable supply, lots of it. Uh, people are happy. They're all flowing back into town out of the suburbs. Uh, and we're going to live happily ever after. No, we don't. We have a, still a pretty lingering sad situation involving uh, housing affordability in our community. And and uh, it's it's hard to figure out like who who goes first here in trying to address this. Is it the, the city? Is it the developers? Uh, people converting their places into duplexes? Is it uh, the province with uh, social housing, the federal government with social housing? Where, you know, where do we start? But something's going to have to start pretty soon, Haley. Yeah. And it seems like 2018, over the last 18 months, really, we've seen so much policy on this. We now have housing strategies at all three levels of government. It seems like the foundation is there. There's certainly the political will to do something. I think you almost need as a politician in 2018 to have talked about housing. And we (laughs) saw that in the municipal election. But the question is now, well, how do you mobilize developers to actually build the supply? You're talking about labor challenges too, Tyler. There are shortages in construction. There are a lot of implications to this that I, I think there's some serious challenges we'll see around actually exacting or executing on these policies. It's just such an economic tightrope that they're going to be walking though, because if you slow it down too much, I think BC's economy is way too tied to the real estate sector and yeah. dangerously. So we've had economists on the program before saying that. So if we have this soft landing uh, and we're seeing signs of it, there's been uh, big slowdowns in sales. Home prices not necessarily uh, going down, but we are seeing a lot of interest curtailing. What does that mean for the BC economy, though? Uh, we've been doing exceptionally well the last few years, and a lot of that, and I'd say a big chunk of it, really has to do with the real estate. Yeah, I mean, we're, we've lived in, almost for a generation now where a home is now considered a bit of a commodity and an investment instrument, less than just simply a place in which you live. Um, what worries me is uh, as interest rates have have increased, uh, a number of people who bought in at, at a pre-sale level, waiting, for, say, two, two and a half years for their place to be built, now are going to face uh, getting a mortgage at a higher rate, and it's going to be more stressful. And I think a lot of those people are going to, quite honestly, have to walk away from their deals because, uh, first of all, they're not going to likely see the appreciation in the asset value of it uh, at the same rate that they did, say, two or three years ago. And secondly, they may not have the income in order to supply what is going to be um, a heavier, steeper mortgage. Uh, and, and if they can't qualify under the new mortgage rules, 
going to alternative lending is going to be even more costly, right? Mm-hmm. So there might be some sort of hope for more affordable options then? I, I, I'm just wondering about to just, what I, degree yeah, I, it, it is going to take I a, a dip. I can't imagine that this suddenly brings things within range. Yeah. I think I think all it does is that it may mean that there's a smaller supply right. uh, that that arrives on the market, a small supply of, uh, that arrives in the market of of these homes that had to be abandoned <laughs> uh, by their buyers. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's jumping out to me this year is U.S. Canada relations. You look at the steel and aluminum tariffs that were imposed by the United States. Canada followed suit with our own retaliatory measures here. And then we were like, okay, well, maybe we can get it all resolved with this new NAFTA agreement, uh, the USMCA. They're still on the table right now. And I do wonder what our relationship is going to be like with our neighbors to the south going into 2019. It wasn't a pretty year at all for Canada. No, not at all. And we still have tariffs on steel, aluminum, softwood. And at the close of the year, we now have the federal government here in Canada saying, well, we're not going to ratify USMCA unless we see some kind of a resolution on steel and aluminum. So I think there's still a lot of uncertainty around a deal that at least from my perspective, that the people we've spoken to on this show is not really that great of a deal for Canada. No, we we judged it on the basis of how little we lost. And that's not a particularly great way <laughs> yeah. to deal with negotiations. It, it, Canada knew that Donald Trump was going to be trying to ex, you know, extract something and uh, and and I think they did get it in the United States. They did get some some uh, uh, you know some some new measures that actually uh, make it a little bit more likely that America can protect its uh, its markets at times. But I think the big one is uh, is the tariff issue, and and I, I can't imagine that Canada can linger very much longer on this one. I think for Justin Trudeau, it's going to prove to be an election issue for him if he can't get this actually resolved. You know, it's he's got. When you look at the prime minister, he's got a lot of economic issues on his back right now, including, of course, you know, the the Kinder Morgan purchase of the pipeline and the resolution that's necessary there uh, in in the next number of months in order to somewhat save uh, the prime minister, although I, I don't think this will be the election issue, but certainly to save the Alberta premier, Rachel yeah. Notley. I, and I think uh, we, we've looked at what the response has been to the Alberta economy from the federal government. And I think there are those deep mean kind of resentments going on in the Alberta uh, contingent of voters. Uh, you know, I don't think the BC or not the BC liberals, but the federal liberals would ever expect to somehow rally all their uh, deep, deep uh, supporters in Alberta. It, but it, was, it was weird enough that the NDP won the province. The, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the federal liberals won't win it too. It's, yeah. like, it's only one of those things happens in a lifetime. <laughs> but just, just compare the response to what we've been seeing in Alberta with the economy there to what we saw just a few weeks ago with regards to the closure of the Oshawa, plant, the impending closure of the Oshawa GM plant as well. And you can really see where they're putting their, what eggs they're putting in which basket when it comes to the next year's election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen some fairly uh, impressive measures on the part of the Alberta government as well as now the federal government to address an oil crisis. I think from Alberta's perspective, this really is a provincial crisis, and it does certainly have implications at the federal level too for our economy. Well, it, it, it's for our, it, it's our economy. I don't think politically it's it has a giant impact on um, on who forms a government, but it does have a big impact on our economy, and I think that central Canadians don't quite understand that. They kind of think that you know we're we're in the G seven and the G twenty uh, as a result of uh, of the auto sector, but we're not. We're we're largely there because we're a big energy supplier to the world, but mainly to America. And if we don't find a way to get uh, that oil to the best possible market, we're short selling ourselves pretty badly. 
We also found our, us at the end of the year when in kind of a, a state of international intrigue with regards to the arrest of Huawei's CFO, Meng Wanzhou. And it really kind of put Canada in the spotlight as well. And it looked as if I, we're been getting pulled into kind of a, a new Cold War to a certain degree and how Canada maneuvered with regards to this. You look at it, uh, we have an agreement with the United States with regards to extradition. We're following through on what our obligations were here, but it still looks as if Canada is pretty like screwed over uh, by both parties involved on yeah, the other side. Increasingly, I think we're beginning to reflect on that process and wonder whether there was perhaps a more elegant way to deal with the issue, uh, the concern that the Americans have, that somehow Huawei through another company has been moving money through uh, in, in a form of bank fraud uh, in order to defy the sanctions on Iran. There, the typical method of dealing with this has been to try people and find them. And in this case here, the question of whether you could have tried, uh, tried the CFO in absentia and, uh, and find her that way. Um, I don't think anyone's been thrown in jail for this yet. Um, and yet here, here we are, you're quite correct. We're, we're in the crosshairs of this. And Canada is taking more of the fall than the United States is seemingly because we happen to agree with the Americans in order to pick her up at the airport. Yeah, there have been detentions of Canadians in China. I think that's a concern. There have been people who have left China or postponed trips. We had a trade mission here that was supposed to go ahead. It stopped, but then some companies still chose to go to China to some extent. I think there are serious implications. And to me, what's really interesting about this, it's very unclear what's going to happen. This could be a process that takes many, many years, or it could be a process where if the U.S. decides to move in the direction of a fine, it could end or could be ended if there was the will to end it, I think, yeah, we, fairly swiftly. We may not even get to an extradition hearing in February. I mean, it could all be swept away. That being said, though, Haley, don't you think Canada is going to have to somehow rethink its own policies with regard to Huawei and to the 5G technology that it, it has probably superior claim on uh, moving forward? And Canada is the only country of the five eyes country that seem to be um, still prepared to work with Huawei. To me, that points to that there's something here that we're not quite aware of. There's either something the government knows that we don't know, or they maybe want a different kind of relationship with China than the other members of the Five Eyes group. Or we know something that the government doesn't know. Or that too. <laughs> it could be that, which would be a little yeah. concerning, I think. Yeah, I just think about the investments that Huawei's made here. Yeah. And just removing that from our infrastructure here, it's going to be very expensive. And I wonder if the government is looking at a sizable country like ours with a spare, sparsely you know, part of, uh, put upon population, it's going to be tremendously more expensive to develop a 5G network with any sort of support from a big international group like Huawei versus, I don't know, look in the United States. We're a far more densely populated country, a lot more players in the game there that would be developing yeah. a 5G network. Yeah, and, and even in the United States, they're not super confident that they have uh, the infrastructure necessary. It looks as if Huawei and perhaps perhaps Ericsson um, also have the capacity to do this kind of outfitting. And um, and it's important technology because it is, we're now entering the era of quantum computing. And so you're going to need uh, a lot more bandwidth in order to accommodate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The question for me is at what cost? Yeah. Sometimes those don't materialize until 
Maybe it's too late. All right. Well, we'll keep our eyes on all of these things uh, going forward into next year. And I think we can dive into it more tomorrow. Tune in. We are going to be giving a bit of an outlook for 2019. And we're going to be pointing out what we should be keeping our eyeballs focused on going forward in the new year. But for now, I'm Tyler Orton. I'm Haley Wooden. And I'm Kurt LaPointe. You can find all of our archives on iTunes and Stitcher and go to BIV.com for our stories. For BIV Today, that's it. 